Well, good morning once again. Thank you for praising the Lord with me. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to praise His name, and it's good to praise with the people of His name. I'm so thankful to praise the Lord with you together this morning, and we're glad to have you with us. It is a wonderful day, isn't it, to be able to gather and to worship the Lord. Uh, There are things coming this week we don't even know, but we know the one who's in control, and we are serving Him and following Him And we're glad to be able to worship him together this morning. We're going to take a minute and and, uh, dismiss our children to their junior church time. And we're glad for them and for their time to be able to hear from God's word with Brother Josh over there. So boys and girls, you're headed out that way. Those of you who are still with us in the service, though, and every time I say the kids get up, there's such a mass exodus. I'm glad a few of you are thinking you're at least grown up enough to stay with us. This is good. We are so glad to have Brother Fagali and his wife, uh, Roseanne, here with us this morning. And I'm so thankful for their faithfulness and service to the Lord for many years now. And God has used them in wonderful ways. He's going to share some of his testimony with you, so I won't uh, take that from him. But I'm so thankful for his impact in my life and his faithfulness and service to the Lord and in his work all around the world sharing the gospel And I know that you'll be encouraged and challenged by his message this morning. And I pray that uh, as God speaks to your heart, that you'll be prepared to do what God calls of you to do. And listen this morning, not just to hear an amazing story, but listen this morning to hear what God has for you. Because it's wonderful to praise the Lord what God's done in someone else's life. And I think it's even more exciting when God begins to do a work in and through you and uh, you begin to sense his leading in your heart and realize that God has a plan for you today, right here where you are and wherever you live in your community with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers and pray that God would use you to be faithful to that. Brother Fagali, would you come please and share with us what God has laid on your heart this morning and we'll look forward to hearing from you today. Good morning. My wife and I looked forward to coming uh, uh, to see t- this church. Last time I met Pastor, Pastor Will, he was uh, praying about starting a church. And for years we wanted to see how the church looked like. So we are honored today to be here and meet everybody. And uh, praise the Lord for Brother Mark, who has been my friend. He and I were in class uh, we, we shared the classroom, uh, uh, studied uh, at Bob Jones University, except I was older than him when, we were, when I was a student. Uh, but praise Allah, I like my wife to stand up so that everybody will meet her. And, uh, thank you. and I am very grateful to be here today as a missionary and preaching the word of God. And I would like to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 14. The book of Matthew chapter 14. And uh, I would like, I would be reading from verse 27 through verse 33. Matthew 13, verse 27 through 33. The title of my sermon is Lessons That We Learn From the Storm. Lessons That We Learn from the storm. 
This is a very, very common, very well-known story uh, that I will be reading, and we need to see what we learn from it. The Bible says in verse 27, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Or why did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Of the truth. What did I say? Sorry, Matthew 14, 27 through 33. <laughs> I apologize. What did I say? <laughs> 13? Okay, I'm sorry about that. Thank you for your help, my dear wife, <laughs> my assistant. <laughs> well, this is a very, very uh, well, a very common uh, story. We read about it many times in the Bible, in Sunday school. Uh, we saw it on flannel graph. Uh, a pastor preached it many times. So I'm not going to go into the detail of the story. But, uh, you know, after a, gr a great day in the life of the disciples, during that, uh, that day, the Lord Jesus, uh, he uh, uh, fed a great multitude. The men alone were 5,000 people. Uh, at the end of the day, Jesus does something very interesting. The Bible says he constrained them. He pushed them to go into the lake, into the, the sea. And then Jesus went up to, to pray. And the first question uh, the, that comes to my mind when I look at the story is this. Lord, when you constrained the disciples to go into the sea, did you not know that they are going to face the storm? Lord, did you not know that uh, in the middle of the lake or the sea, they are going to face uh, the storm? The answer, of course, Jesus knew. I mean, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the future. He knows the past. But he knew that they are going to face the storm. How many Christians today ask the Lord the same question? Lord, why do you allow us to go through coronavirus? Why do you allow us to go through this crisis? Lord, did you not know? The answer is yes. He knew that they are going to go through, uh, through the storm. The second question that comes to my mind is this. Lord, if you knew they are going to face the storm, why did you allow them to go through the storm? And the answer to this question is this. They are, they were disciples of the Lord Jesus. You and I, we are disciples of Christ, right? Now, what is another word for disciple? Students. Right? These men were students in the Bible college of the Lord Jesus. In the college, he had 12, 12 uh, students, and he was the president and the professor of that college. So everything that happens, happens to our advantage. We are students, and a student studies all his life. You see, life is a school. 
and the more you live, the more experienced you are. That's why you don't, you don't go to my granddaughter and ask her to give you an advice. You come to the grandpa, he can do a better job giving an advice. So these, these, teacher, these students saw Jesus as the great teacher. They saw him as the one who heals the sick. They saw him as the one who opened the eyes of the blind, the one who fed the multitude. Now they need to learn a new lesson, and they need to see him as the one who has authority over the storm. So these were students, and Jesus sent them into the lake so that they will learn a more, another lesson. And you know, in our lives, the more we know about the Lord Jesus, the more we can grow in grace and we have more confidence. So the first question we see that Jesus sent them so that they will learn a new, a new lesson. The second question that comes to mind is, they were struggling in the middle of the sea because of the storm, and the question is, were they alone? Were they alone in the middle of the sea? How many people think that God uh, uh, left me? Uh, you know, I like that uh, picture, uh, the painting of the, the man uh, looked behind all his life. There were two uh, footsteps, uh, two pairs of footsteps on the sand. And then when he got into the worst crisis of his life, he looked behind and saw one pair of footsteps and then he looks at the Lord and say, Lord, all my life you walked with me, but now in the middle of the crisis, Lord, you left me. I look behind and there is one pair of footsteps on the sand. Lord, why did you leave me in, the, in my time of crisis? How many Christians ask the Lord this question? And you know what I love about that painting is that the Lord answers him. He says, my son, I never leave you nor forsake you. I never left you. These footsteps on the sand are not your footsteps. They are my footsteps. And while you were going through your crisis, I was carrying you in my arms. You know, here, uh, not, uh, were they alone? The answer is no. You know, we are his children. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Many times we don't understand the crisis. Many times when we are in the middle of the storm, we question our God. But later we look back and realize that God will never leave us. And everything that happened in your life and my life happened for the glory and the advantage of my advantage and the advantage of the gospel. It's interesting in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says, and Jesus saw them toiling in rowing. Are you struggling in your life? Are you facing, are you suffering? Let me tell you this, God will never leave you. God know who you are and what you are going through. It's interesting, another point about the story that when Jesus came toward the, the ship, uh, the disciples were scared because they thought he was a, a ghost. And when he told them, I, it is I, don't be afraid, it's me, don't be afraid, it was Mr. Peter who looked at Jesus and says, if it is you, bid me to walk on the water. And uh, Jesus said, come on, Peter, come walk on the water. And it's interesting that as long as Peter's eyes were on Jesus, he, wa was, he walked on the water. And uh, uh, Mr. Peter was easily distracted. 
because as he was walking on the water, now when he was walking on the water, did, that, did, did the storm stop? The wind was, the storm was still raging, the wind was still blowing, but he was walking on the water as long as his eyes were on the Lord Jesus. But the moment Mr. Peter took his eyes off the Lord and put them on the problem, he began to drown. He began to drown. How many Christians today are discouraged? And they say, Lord, why did you leave me? But they forget that you need to keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. Many, you know, in 1983, Rosanne and I surrendered to be missionaries, and we went to Lebanon. When we went to the country of Lebanon, Lebanon was in the midst of one of the most, of the deadliest and most violent war in the history of that country. 20% of the Lebanese people were killed. When we went to Lebanon, every day we had at least one car bomb, every day. Snipers shot at us. And you know, even my pastor in, the, in uh, uh, Greenville, South Carolina said, Edgar, why are you staying in Lebanon? Leave Lebanon, why are you staying there? And I said, why? He said, because it is dangerous. I, I said, so? He said, leave, find another place. Go serve the Lord another place where it is safer. And my answer was, it is safer. It is safer within the hand of God than outside the hand of God. I looked at my pastor. I said, I could get out of this church and somebody hit me and kill me in the car in a car accident. And you know, many people, the question is, how could you stay throughout Lebanon and serve the Lord? The answer is, we never looked at the war. I've never, I, know, I didn't see the war. What we were seeing is people getting saved and people hearing the gospel. And during the Lebanese war, more people heard about the Lord Jesus than at any other time. It's interesting. Every Sunday, I will give an invitation between four and five people will raise their hands and say, we would like to accept Christ as our Savior. So we weren't noticing the war. That's why we didn't leave. We stayed in Lebanon and served the Lord. You know, it's interesting. As long as Peter's eyes were on the Lord, he walked up above the water. The, 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 the storm was still going. Uh, the waves were still high and raging. But he never noticed, he, he kept until he took his eyes off and he began to look at the, at the waves. At that moment, he began to drown. Now here is another comical uh, picture, funny picture about the story. You know, Mr. Peter began to, to drown, to sink. And as he was sinking, what did he do? He shouted, he said, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. To me, this is funny. To me, this is funny. You know why? What did, what did Peter do? What was his profession? A fisherman. I mean, if you are a fisherman in the Middle East, you better learn how to swim. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you, the, the sea is unpredictable over there. You don't know what will happen. You go to the sea and then it changes its mind and decide, decide it's winter, not summer. And here you have a man who is professional swimmer what did he do? He cried unto the Lord, and he said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. How many children of God today, they, they, they concentrate on the problem instead of keeping their eyes on the Lord. And then you, you, they, are com they complain a lot because they forgot to keep their eyes on Jesus. You know, Jesus rebuked 
the faith, his lack of faith, and he pulled him out. And it's interesting that Peter and Jesus entered into the ship and they walked that day. You know, as I said, they were disciples, they were students. And that day, the disciples learned the three lessons uh, from, that, from the storm. Number one, they learned that Jesus is omniscient. Jesus is omniscient. He knew they were suffering. Jesus knew they were suffering. Does the Lord know if you are suffering? Absolutely, absolutely. When you pray, you call upon the Lord, he will be all ears to listen to you. But he doesn't always do what you like to do. That's why sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers. You know, my granddaughter loved candy. And she always asks for candy, but she never gets candy all the time. I mean, I would not give her candy every time she asks for one, because candy may not be good for her to, to eat too much candy. So, but God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he says, I'm going to rescue you, Peter. Other times he will say, no, or wait. So uh, they went to the, learned that he is omniscient. Number two, they learned that Jesus is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. How do we know that? He didn't uh, use his GPS to find them uh, in the middle of the lake. He didn't go looking for them. Jesus went straight where the, sh where the ship was. He went straight to them. And number three, they learned that he is omnipotent. He is omnipotent. How, when Jesus entered into that ship, he gave, he gave the order and the storm stopped. You know, it's interesting, at the beginning of the story, they were alone, but at the end, on the other side of the shore, Jesus was with them. You see, at the beginning here, they didn't know he was with them. He, they thought they were alone. But from this point on, they knew he, is, he was with them all along, and he is with them on the boat. And when they crossed the river or crossed into the other shore, Jesus was with them. You know, today we are facing a, a crisis in America. And we don't understand why this crisis is happening. But let me, let me tell you, when you get to the other shore and you look back, you will be amazed at the wisdom of God. You know, we look sometimes at uh, the, uh, the coronavirus and see it from a negative point of view. But there is a positive side to the coronavirus. Why did God allow this, allow this to happen to us? You see, one of the lessons we learned from the coronavirus is that America was not prepared for this virus. When the virus came, the shelves were empty. Nobody even assumed there's going to be a virus. And you know, now our shelves, the shelves are full with the ventilators and other things. You know, now we are much more experienced when it comes to this virus, correct? Well, you know, God maybe allowed us to have this virus so that when another more deadly virus comes, God will protect us. We will be much better prepared when the other virus comes. Like Ebola killed more people in Liberia and West Africa, then, uh, you know, uh, uh, there are viruses that may come, and God may allow us to have uh, go through this for our goodness and our protection. You know, when I look at the story, the verse that comes to my mind is uh, what uh, Lamentation Jeremiah said. He said, great is thy 
faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah was a great man of God. He was a man who made up his mind to preach the word no matter what. People hated him. People uh, persecuted him. He was even put in jail because he preached the truth. But he was determined to preach the truth. And in the middle of that crisis, Jeremiah shouts unto the Lord, cries unto the Lord and says, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. As I look at my life, I can say the same thing, that God is amazing God and great his faithfulness. I was born in Lebanon. My father was Catholic. My mother was Orthodox. I never heard about Jesus. All my little childhood, I was taught that you, you, works will, your good works will take you to heaven. And praise the Lord, a missionary came from America to Lebanon. And that missionary uh, in Sunday school, for the first time in my life, I heard that God loved me, Edgar Fegali, and died on the cross in order to save me. In Sunday school, I found out that I don't need to do anything to be saved because God has done it all for me on the cross. All I needed is to put my trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God will do the rest of the saving. And I am very grateful that my, my father and I, my, my family and I, were the first family this missionary led to Christ. And later, the missionary and my father became as close as brothers. And, you know, I never had a crisis because I grew in a Christian home. Uh, I never faced a storm. As a matter of fact, I was the only young man in my church who spoke English. And because I spoke good English, I was able to interpret for the missionary. And also, many times, preachers will come from America to Lebanon. And my pastor, who didn't speak English, uh, would call me and say, Edgar, uh, next Sunday, be ex expect to uh, uh, interpret. You have, we have a guest speaker from America. Well, at the age of 18, after I graduated from high school, uh, I went to study at the American University uh, Business. And at the same time, I was working with Bank of Chicago, the B Beirut branch. And uh, so one day, as I was working in the bank, my, my pastor calls me, and he says, Edgar, next Sunday, we have a well-known preacher coming to the church. And he said, be prepared to interpret for him. And he said, because he is well-known, we are going, we expect uh, people, you know, uh, uh, church uh, Christians to come from other churches to listen to him. So our church is going to be filled with people coming to listen to him. Well, I didn't bother to ask uh, the, our, my pastor, who is this prominent uh, speaker? So I thought he's another person. So on Sunday evening, uh, I went to church, and the person who happened to be the speaker, a man by the name of Dr. Bob Jones the, uh, Jr. And, uh, you know, so I didn't know. I thought he's another minister at that time. So uh, as, as I went to shake his hand and speak to him, I was kind of scared because he had that heavy southern accent. <laughs> and uh, I realized that, you know, I cannot misinterpret uh, what he says because there are many people among the congregation who spoke English. So if I misinterpret Lebanese, don't let you know. So I looked at him, I said, sir, would you kindly speak slowly and use simple English so that I can, I will be able to interpret for you. And I remember when I finished, 
uh, interpreting for Dr. Jones Jr., I said in my heart, praise the Lord, I did a good job. Well, as we were shaking hands and I asked him, I said, what is the name of your church? He looked at me and said, I don't have a church. I'm not a pastor. He said, I'm the chancellor of a university. And then he looked at me and said, would you like to come to our university? Well, being a, Le a polite Lebanese, in my, uh, in my heart I said no, but in my mouth I said sure, I wouldn't <laughs> mind. Uh, and so he gave me an application. He said, fill the application, bring it tomorrow, uh, and I'll take it with me and file it with our university. Dr. Jones Jr. did that. He would recruit students for the university. Well, you know, the reason I didn't want to go to Bob Jones at that time, like uh, about 1973, is that Lebanon was a very prosperous country. Lebanon was this, the banking center of the Middle East. Our banking system was known as the, the follow the system in Switzerland. We had tremendous banking system. Uh, we had this Lebanon, the American University and the Jesuit University were great universities in those days. People came from all over the world to study in Lebanon. And in my mind, I said, why do I want to go to America when I can study in Lebanon and I have a great job? I'm about to become a manager of that bank. So I wasn't thinking I want to go anywhere. But you see, when, when Dr. Jones gave me that application and I filled it out and gave it to him the following day, God knew something I didn't know. God knew that I'm about to face a storm in my life. And the first storm in my life was in 1975. In 1975, the Lebanese Civil War began. In my book, I give more details about the, that civil war. But in the first battle of that war was known as the Battle of the Hotels. And in that battle, God miraculously saved my life and my family's life, but we lost everything. We lost our house. I lost my job. I lost my, my dad lost his convenience store. We basically lost everything. And when I lost everything, I realized that I have no future in Lebanon. And I remember at that day when, when I was ready to leave Lebanon, I was very angry with God. I said, Lord, uh, I grew in a Christian home. Lord, I, serve, I served you all my life. Lord, my dad was the treasurer and the deacon of the church. I used to go knock at doors and witness to people. We did, we, I took care of the youth meet uh, programs. I taught Sunday school. I did everything in the book for you. Lord, why did you allow us to leave, to lose everything? And now I have to leave the country. But what I didn't know that day was God had a plan for my life. And God was preparing me for the bigger task, the more important uh, responsibility or, or call. And God wanted me to, to train me better. So I left Lebanon, went to Syria, from Syria to Egypt, from Egypt to Switzerland, to Austria, to France. And while I was in France, I called Bob Jones University and found out that I was accepted to be a student and uh, God opened the door. Now, when I went to Bob Jones University, I got two things out of Bob Jones. Number one, I got a good uh, Christian education. And number two, I got a wonderful wife. <laughs> and I remember I had a history book and I wanted to sell it. And I put the ad on the bulletin board and this uh, beautiful, sweet young lady came to buy the book from me. 
And you know, it's not a joke. It really happened as I'm telling you. When I sold her the book, God spoke to my heart, said, this is the girl for you. So I look at her after selling her the book and look at, looked at her and said, someday I'm going to marry you. <laughs> and she really got angry. <laughs> she said, how do you know? I said, you will see. <laughs> and about four or five years later, she saw. <laughs> Actually, the Lord brought us together. It's amazing. She came all the way from upstate New York to Bob Jones. I came all the way from the Middle East to Bob Jones. And we got together. And what a joy that God has given me a wonderful, wonderful wife. Together, we went to Lebanon. And, uh, uh, you know, I always, uh, at the age of nine, I surrendered my life to serve the Lord. But I, I always knew that when God calls me, he's going to call me to Lebanon. The, the question is, when will he call me? I always knew that when God calls me, I will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that he called me. Lebanon was at war. Uh, uh, nobody wants to go there. So if God wants to call me, he has to let me know. Well, after graduating from Bob Jones University, I went to Canada. And in Canada, I found a job as a manager, financial manager in a company there. And uh, my wife that day was at home. The, my secretary, usually all my personal mail comes to my home address, which we own in, in Toronto. But that particular letter came to my business address. And the secretary came and put the, that envelope on my desk. When I opened the envelope, it was from Lebanon. And a friend of mine in Lebanon wrote me. And he said, uh, Edgar, I would like to let you know, your friend who, who, later, who was a pastor in northern Lebanon, a city called Tripoli, while he was in his office, his seven-year-old boy was playing with his toys in the office, and this minister was preparing his sermons. He said a, a terrorist came through the sanctuary of the church, went to the office of that pastor, took his pistol, and emptied the pistol on the pastor. Now, that pastor who was my friend, we grew together. He, I grew in Beirut. He grew in that city. Uh, we became very good friends. And then I realized that he was left paralyzed for life. As I was reading that letter, the Holy Spirit began to convict my heart. He said, Edgar, you're living here for yourself, making money, but you, while your friends are falling in the service of the master. At that point, I called my wife and I said, Roseanne, the time has come. The Lord has just called us to the mission field. I remember we put our house for sale in Ajax, Ontario, uh, that ch our church, Faithway Baptist Church at that time in Ajax, Ontario, got excited that we, members of that church, have been called uh, to go back to Lebanon. And you know, I knew what to expect when we went to Lebanon. I didn't think my wife knew what to expect because I was born there. I know how violent the, the situation was. So as we were uh, leaving America, we surrendered in 83, we went to uh, Lebanon in 85, and we couldn't go by plane because the airport was closed. So we had to fly to Cyprus, and in Cyprus we had to pick a boat, uh, by, by like a big boat, where, and we sailed into uh, Lebanon. And as we were sailing into Lebanon, I said, Lord, Lebanon, uh, Middle East is known as the graveyard of missions. 
I said, Lord, many missionaries were very discouraged. I said, Lord, if you want to fail me, please don't let me get to the shore. Kill me now. Because if, you, if I step on the shore of Lebanon, it means that you want me to succeed. And when I stepped on the shores of Lebanon, I knew that God is going to bless me. God uh, we provided us with a place, and the first day, first meeting we had was on Wednesday evening. There were about 15 uh, people in the service. Roseanne was sitting in the second pew, like we're sitting here, and uh, my child, uh, Mitchell, was about eight to nine months old. And as I was preaching in the middle of the sermon, the area of the church was targeted. I don't know if you know, if you are in the military, you know what I'm talking about. Bombs were falling, mortar bombs, cannon bombs, uh, uh, missiles falling everywhere. And, you know, I haven't heard the bombs for a long time, but it were, the, the voice was so loud, and everybody tucked their heads, except I stood there preaching. I didn't know what to do, so I pretended I'm not listening, hearing the bombs and continued preaching. And a young lady I led to Christ in Sunday school uh, stood, uh, you know, looked at me. She said, Preacher, why don't you come down and tuck your head? And after the bombardment is finished, you can go up and finish your sermon. Well, that was the first day uh, <laughs> in our ministry. Later, you know, the Lord protected us many times. I got used to the noises in Lebanon. Six months after we landed in Lebanon and starting, started serving the Lord, I praise the Lord. You know, people were opening their homes, welcoming us, wanted to hear the gospel in the middle of the crisis. And one day, six months later, I received a letter from my mission board in North Carolina. And the president of the mission board said, Brother Figali, we would like to let you know that the State Department have issued an order for all the American people who live in Lebanon to leave Lebanon immediately. And then they said, if you don't leave Lebanon, when you come back to America, you will be heavily penalized. And when I looked at the penalty, I realized I don't have that kind of money to pay to anybody. I don't have that money. But God was blessing us so much, I didn't want to leave Lebanon. So we, Rosanne and I, pray about it. And then I called the embassy and uh, the, the consulate, I'm not going to give you his name because I promised I will not. But the consulate said to me, he said, Edgar, the only way you can stay in Lebanon is if you would give your wife the Lebanese citizenship. And this way, you and your wife will serve God as Lebanese, not as Americans. And then he gave me a warning, a stern warning. He said, but let me warn you. Once you give your wife the Lebanese citizenship, you will no more be under the protection of the American embassy. And I remember when he said that, instinctively I answered him. I said, sir, when God called us in the first place, when God called us to go as missionaries to Lebanon, we never pursued the protection of the American embassy. I said, the one who will have to protect us is the one who called us in the first place. And guess what? He did. He did. You know, I, I don't have time to share what God did and what we have seen, but let me share this with you. Uh, one day, my wife and I were in, in our home. Uh, uh, we lived on the top floor of a high-rise building, nothing above us, and that night, the area was bombarded. I mean, 
bombs were falling everywhere. My children were sleeping in their bedroom. Rosanna and I were sleeping in our bedroom. And everybody else in the building were in the shelter hiding from the bombs. Well, about 1.30 a.m., our telephone rings. And who was on the other side? My mother-in-law, Roseanne's mother. Oh, I got so excited to hear her voice. I said, so good to hear your voice. How are you doing? She said, how are you doing? I said, we're doing fine. How are you doing? She, and, you know, I didn't know that she was hearing the explosions uh, uh, on the, from New York, from our state New York. She was hearing the explosions falling around our house. And she looks, says, Edgar, are you guys watching a war movie? I said, no, we are in the middle of one. <laughs> Well, that night, you know, we slept in our home like usual. There is a lady who lives in, in the apartment beneath our house. We witnessed to her many times, and she used to help my son with the Arabic language. She and her children were in the basement. That night, the basement was so polluted. Uh, the air was so polluted. People were smoking. Uh, men were cussing and shouting. Children were so uh, uh, un undisciplined all night. She could hardly breathe. And she got to a point, she said, what on earth I am doing here? What am I doing here in the basement? She said, the Fegalis believe in Jesus, and they are sleeping in their bedroom, and they know that Jesus will protect them. What am I doing here in the shelter? She said, I'm going to go up and sleep in the bedroom that's beneath the, the Fegali's bedroom. And this way, the Jesus who will protect them will protect me and my children. <laughs> and guess what? Jesus did. <laughs> the next day, early in the morning, she went up to our house. We uh, uh, had a, a Turkish coffee with her, and she told us what happened. And that morning, she accepted Christ as her personal Savior. You know, our God is faithful. Our God is wonderful, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. After the first Gulf War, God called me to be a church planter. Today, we have churches in Iraq. We have two churches, three radio stations. Praise God for the American military uh, uh, there. Uh, we have churches in Syria. We have churches in Lebanon. We have churches in Egypt, 11 of them. We have churches in northern Sudan. We have churches in southern Sudan. And God blessed me with churches in Ghana and in Liberia and even a few years ago in Togo. And people say, Brother Fegali, how can you do all that? Well, the Lord showed me that if I can find faithful men and train them, these men will be able to reach their nation with the gospel. You know, I'm sorry, I don't have the time to tell you the whole, my whole testimony. It's in a book called uh, Forward in the Face of Fear. has a lot of details. And I am sorry, I, my first day I sold all the book I brought with me on the plane. But here are the three lessons that I learned in my life, and I'd like to share them with you. What are the lessons? If I want to tell you, share my, my advice, what advice will I give you? Number one, no matter what you do, Jesus must be exalted. Whatever you will do, make sure Jesus is exalted. You know, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 said, let that in all things Jesus might have that preeminence. Whatever you do, let the name of Jesus be exalted. Number two, stay focused. Stay focused. 
The storm may be raging. The waves may be high and distracting. But keep your eyes on Jesus and you will never be discouraged. And number three, stay the course. Stay the course. You know, God gave us this life. And soon this life will come to an end. Believe me, it goes by so fast. This life, Paul said tribulation is but for a moment. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, things which are seen are temporal. Things which are seen are temporal. You know, what makes, what gives us hope is that we have a Savior. He gave us eternal life. This life is temporary, but someday we are going to go there and we are going to see him and be with him forever. At the end, a person, I was, I, you know, today Brother James interviewed me and what a good man he is. But, you know, one guy asked me one time in an interview, he said, Brother Fegali, the, is there a scary thought? I mean, you have been through the civil war in Liberia. I was there during the war. Uh, uh, I've been to civil war in Lebanon. I've been to Iraq. And many, w w is there something that scares you? Well, car bombs didn't scare me. Uh, civil wars do not scare me. There's one thought that scares me, and that is, what if that missionary who came to Lebanon and led me to Christ, what if that missionary did not come to Lebanon? What if people like you who love the Lord did not give to, that mis to missions, and that missionary could not come to Lebanon? What would I be doing today? If that missionary were not to come to Lebanon, I myself probably would be a terrorist, or I myself would be a sniper shooting and killing people, or I myself maybe would be dead and in hell. But because people like you planted the seed, stood behind that missionary, he came to Lebanon, brought the gospel to Lebanon, and you know what happened? He brought it to Lebanon. I took the same gospel and furthered it into the heart of the Middle East. You know, God today is giving people in the Middle East an opportunity to hear the gospel. And you know, just recently I, I shared that, I don't know if Brother Will or Brother James, that this is the biggest step of faith, is building a Christian school in Baghdad. I, unheard of. So we independent Baptists don't have a lot of money. And I am embarking on one of the biggest projects that I've ever embarked on, $830,000 to build a Christian school. I don't even know if I will be able to raise this money, my instruction to the secretary is make sure whoever give the money, write his name and address. In case we fail, we will send them the money back. We will not keep it with the mission board. But you know, what an opportunity that we can have a Christian school in the heart of Baghdad and you have the cross in the center of that city and students will come, study the word of God and many of those students may surrender to go and reach the Middle East with the gospel. You know, that missionary came to Lebanon. I was seven years old. This missionary, that missionary today, he is in heaven with his wife. My father and mother are in heaven too. And for some reason, when I think of that missionary and my dad, I imagine that Brother Ains and my dad were sitting somewhere on a hill on the top of a mountain in heaven drinking Turkish coffee. You know, I, we're allowed to imagine. But I thank the Lord for your love to the Lord, for giving, and for a church like this one, as you pray for us 
we can succeed. Let's bow our heads to pray. Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. He said that to Peter, and he's saying to you and to me today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you, dear Lord, because you will never leave us nor forsake us. We may not understand the circumstances. We may have many, many questions. But eventually, as we look back at our life, we realize that you have the best in mind for every one of your children. Father, I pray for Pastor Will and his family. I pray for every member of this church. And may your name be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take just a minute to have a...